to see everyone here in person, and also uh, we welcome each and every one of you who are online as well, and especially our guests, those who maybe are here for the first time or have been visiting with us for some time. We're so glad that you are here, and I just pray that this is a place you can uh, come to worship in spirit and in truth. announcements. We have uh, corporate prayer continuing. That's every Wednesday, 7 p.m. It's either here at the church or anyone wants to do that via Zoom. If you need more information on that, come see me or uh, one of the other staff here at the service. We have a congregational meeting next Sunday, June 13th, immediately after the service. Uh, the purpose of that is to elect officers you should see an email about that here in the next day or so. I uh, want to remind all the ladies about a women's retreat and fellowship day, which is next Saturday, June 12th, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Joyful Morning Flower Fall. Uh, check your email for more information about that. Uh, Amanda asks that you do RSVP. If you haven't gotten the email or you want to know more information about that, please see Amanda. Amanda, raise your hand. There you go. That's me. Uh, I do want to say that at the Village Church, uh, we believe that the giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship. And if you're interested in giving uh, to the mission and vision of our church, there are several ways to do that. There's an offering plate in, in the back that you care to give in person. Also, you can send a check to the church at our Continuing Boulevard address or uh, go to our website uh, and give via PayPal. Uh, I do want to say that we have a guest preacher today, Mr. Dieter Paulson. He is uh, the pastor of uh, the PCA church plant that we have going on in Scottsboro. I think he'll tell us a little bit more about himself here later as he sings, but uh, good to uh, see you today. All right. The words of preparation come from Isaiah 43. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Let's just spend a few moments just meditating on that uh, verse in silence preparing our hearts. so much for even the rain as it pours down on us. It always reminds me of how your grace and mercy come to us day after day and month after month. We don't deserve it, yet you give it to us abundantly. It overflows into us. Just thank you for that, Father. And as each of us are gathered in different spaces, at this time, we know. 
know that your spirit is with us today. Hold us tight. When two or three are gathered together in your name, we are there in the midst. And so no matter where we are, we cannot escape from your presence. I just pray that you'll draw each and every one of us to you here in this place of worship. Draw us into your presence that we may know you today, that we may glorify you today. Father, may the words that come upon us in the psalms and in the scripture and in the preaching uh, not just hit our heads, but penetrate our hearts um, so that we can become more and more conformed to the image of Christ. Draw us, Father. Let's stand for the call to worship. So I will read the part that says leader, and uh, then the congregation will read what it says congregation. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. O oh, my soul, praise him, for he is your help and salvation. Come all who hear, now to his temple draw near. Join me in glad adoration. Praise to the Lord. Oh, let all that is in me adore him. All that has life and breath, come now, give praises before him. And let the amen sound from his people again. Gladly forever adore him. You may be seated. of faith comes from the Heidelberg Catechism. Question number one. Um, I, since it's rather long, I'll, I'll read both parts. <laughs> what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ who, with his precious blood, has fully satisfied me for all my sins and redeemed me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live unto him. Wow. That's some powerful words right there, isn't it? That is that's the summary of all things in the gospel. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we are just so redeemed us, how you've rescued us from our sin. You are an awesome God, and we thank you for all that you are and all who you are. Father, sometimes we 
don't even know how to express the degree of emptiness that we have. All we can come to you with is blindness. And we know that your spirit intercedes even in the midst of our blindness to present those prayers to you. So, Father, with our finite minds, we can barely comprehend the depth and the breadth of the love that you have for us. How you would send your own son into this world, taking on the form of a man, the nature of a man, and then having him die for our sins. How can we even grasp the magnitude of that? But we thank you so much for that power. And that the life that he lived is the life that if we now can live, we'd be imputed righteousness of Christ to us. We thank you so much for that. As we continue praying for this church, Father, your spirit would continue to move among us, that you would give us a vision that, you, that we need to keep going as a church. I do pray for Deger's uh, church in Scottsboro also, Father, that you would bless them, that you would uh, make them uh, abundantly uh, in yours there in Scottsboro, and that people will look to that church and say, what must I do to be saved? So, Father, in all things, those things that we know, those things that we can't comprehend, we give you thanks. In the name of Jesus, amen. rises to God, and he, hear, he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. In the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. When I remember God, then I am stirred. When I sigh, then my spirit grows faint. Selah. You have held my eyelids open. I am so troubled, but I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of long ago. I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart and my spirit on it. Will the Lord reject forever? And will he never be favorable? Has his loving kindnesses ceased forever? 
has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger withdrawn his compassion? See, then I said, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who will work wonders. You have made my inner strength among the people. You have by your power redeemed your people. The sons of Jacob and Joseph gave forth a sound, your arrows flashed here and there. The sound of your thunder was like a whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea and your paths in the mighty waters. And your footprints may not be known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses. Very good, very good. Once again, it's good to be with you all this morning. I'm Dieter Paulson, um, pastor of the church plant in Scottsboro, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. And uh, we have been there four years, my wife and I and our four kids. And uh, it's been tough. It's been a tough work. And this past year has definitely thrown us a curveball with COVID. Uh, It's been a tough season. Um, Going into lockdown, we probably had about 20 coming to Bible study. And uh, that, you know, going into everybody going to Zoom and, and whatnot, it, it, it really radically impacted us. And uh, not to mention, I, uh, we, we've, we've had COVID in our family. Uh, several of us had it. And um, so anyways, it's just been a, an, an interesting road. But in the middle of the pandemic, uh, my elders said, why don't you rent a building? And I was thinking to myself, Really? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm thinking, you know, we're, we feel like our numbers are shrinking, but, you know, we've been here for four years, and as I prayed about it, the Lord just continued to give me peace. The Lord led us to a great building. It used to be the Parks Plumbing Supply Building over in Scottsboro, owned by Jerry Shady. Uh, if you all know Shep Park, it's his brother-in-law. And um, so anyways, um, I, I, it was way too much building for what we could afford, but the Lord just kept putting it on my heart. And I went to one of our elders, and I said, how can we get this building? Because I, I really believe this is the building God wants for us. And he said, well, ask to pay property taxes and insurance and see if, the, if he bites. And sure enough, he said, how about 750 a month, which my jaw dropped, because it's an 8,000-square-foot, two-metal building structure on an acre and a half on 79 going to Gunnersville, which is Broad Street. So if you get off of 72 in Scottsboro onto 79, it's 
it's not even to the, I guess you go past High Country to Toyota, but we're right there on the main drag between the liquor store and a Mexican restaurant. So we, we thank God for the visibility and the traffic and the location that he's given us. I've had a guy uh, that I'll mention in my sermon uh, working for us. Um, I found him on an app. Uh, he was working at a plant in Scottsboro and looking for some side work, and he's been doing some work throughout the week, doing finishing touches, you know, here and there when we can't get mission teams in to do some some labor. He, he's doing the labor for us. And... Um, I don't want to spill the beans too much because it's going to take some of it from my sermon. But I'm going to share about Chris in my sermon. But God just blessed us with Chris. Um, You know, we've got a a couple guys that I've been pouring into, I think, that are future elders uh, of the church plant. So that's been really exciting. And and others that are kind of on the fringes that I'm really trying to disciple from a distance because that's kind of how we're doing things right now, it seems like, with COVID. And um, we... I have a young man that came to Christ about a year ago. Um, Chris himself has come to Christ. Um, so I'm discipling these guys. And, you know, God's doing some good things. It's just very slow. And, you know, but but you think of barbecue, it's only good if it's low and slow. And I cooked a brisket the other day, and I'm really glad that I cooked it according to the directions that I got from a guy on online. Because had I just cooked it for a couple hours, that would have been terrible. But it turned out phenomenal because of that low and slow process. So thank you all for your prayers. Thank you for your encouragements to us. We feel like we're missionaries. I mean, we we come to Huntsville and we feel like, you know, we connect, you know, we go to Cornerstone and and we feel like that's our, that's our, that's our church. Those are our people. And um, it's it's really blessed us and and held us up while ministering in Scottsboro because Scottsboro is a hard place. And, um, you know, people are kind of more to themselves there, and they have their own churches, and uh, their, their family's church that they've gone to for years, and so we're really trying to reach the non-churched and de-churched, and, and those who are really hungry for discipleship as well. So uh, thank you for, thank you Richard for reading that passage for me. I was, I was thinking, man, how long is that going to take me to read all that? So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for you reading it for me. So um, let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll, get into the preaching of the word. Father in heaven, we just bow before your throne of grace this morning, and we're so grateful for you and your work in our lives and and you being in our midst. God, if it weren't for you, we wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for you, Father, you, uh, Lord, we we can honestly say, uh, Lord, we would not be in church today. But we thank you, God, that you're sovereign over everything in our lives, not only the outcomes, but also the little details of life. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord, who is our teacher. And we ask that you would teach us now from your word, that you would just speak to each heart here. We pray, Father, that if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself today. And, Lord, that you, Lord, if people are hurting in here today and they're grieving and they're, they're heavy-hearted and they don't know what to do, they feel stuck, we pray, God, that by your grace, your powerful grace, you would pull them to a place of, of lament and, and bringing these things before you, and they would know your healing grace. And, Lord, we thank you that you know where each of us is at right now. We thank you that you love us with a, a love that will not let us go. And there's nothing that can separate us from your love. 
So, Lord, we pray now that your spirit would go before us and with us and that you would attend to these words that I proclaim, that you would, Lord, uh, use this weak messenger for your namesake and for your glory and all God's people said, amen. In the last year, a guy I know has lost people in his ministry that was already a difficult situation. His daughter had COVID and been dealing with post-COVID syndrome, not able to focus or concentrate. They've had to take her out of school. Uh, She's been depressed. She's despaired of life multiple times. This, this, this man deals with the shame of verbal abuse from a brother that leads him to feeling worthless. He's had terrible nightmares uh, that <clears throat> his wife doesn't care for him. His kids don't know him. He battles anxiety and depression on top of all this. He has to battle for his joy. So how does this guy press on in the face of all of his difficulty? Well, I can tell you. Because I'm that guy. You may be wondering where I'm at in all of these things. I'm pleased to say that I'm not stuck. I'm not stuck. I'm hopeful and I'm growing in grace. And the reason for my hope and my growth in grace is that the Lord has taught my heart how to find grace in lament. From my experience of coming to know and experience grace, the power of God in lament, I want to help you do the same. Lament is a grieving process that is focused on God and keeps us grounded in Him. Lament is actually an ancient practice among God's people. About a third of all the Psalms are Psalms of Lament. And then you got Jeremiah's book, Lamentations, right? You got a whole book devoted to a lament about God's people by one of God's people. So our passage we're going to study this morning is Psalm 77, a psalm of Asaph, a a choir master of Israel. And in this particular psalm, he shows us the process of lament and how grace can be found in it. So Asaph shows us that grace is found in lament by three things he shows us. First of all is crying aloud to God, verses 1 to 5. Secondly, complaining in a godly manner. And I know some people are going to be rattled by that. But complaining in a godly manner, verses 6 through 9, and then trusting in God and his character in verses 10 through 20. So first, we find grace and lament by first crying aloud to God. Asaph begins this psalm in verses 1 to 5 by stating how he approaches God in his struggle. We can read over the text here and miss the human experience Asaph is describing for us. Isn't it true that you can read over something because you want to just read it? and, and get, get through it. But you can't do that with the Psalms. You can't do that with the Psalms of Lament. They are meant for us to, to feel and to see and experience the weight of what the psalmist is, is, is telling us. The temptation in our own struggles, isn't it true, that we go into self-sufficient mode until we exhaust our resources and then we're anxious and depressed. Another temptation in our struggle is to go dark before God. God, I don't know what to say to you. And frankly, I don't want to say anything to you. We give God the the silent treatment. It's the last thing. Both of these things are the last things that we need to do. In our text, Asaph says he cries aloud to God in lament. He cries out 
to him. You see, lament is, is a prayer directed toward God while we're living between God's uh, awesome promises and our pain, between his sovereignty and the fallenness of this world. In his book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy on Lament, Mark Grogop, very strange name. I'll be saying it so many times I'll probably mispronounce it, but he actually says uh, that this is the, this this tension that we as believers know. He, he says humans cry, but Christians lament because we know who God is and we know what God's done, but we also know this the struggle, right, of not not being in heaven yet, not being in glory yet. We're in this this realm still, and it's tough, and it's it's painful and hard. So lament is done with loud cries. Asaph is helping us to see that lament must involve crying aloud to God, for he says, he will hear me. He will hear us. We cry aloud to him because we know he loves us and he is for us and he loves to hear his people. What do we see throughout the Old Testament? When his people cried out to him, what do we see? He heard. He hears the cries of his people. So, folks, we've got to cry. We've got to cry out to him. So, our Lord Jesus lamented in prayer in this way, even as the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 5, 7, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence or his fear. So for crying out loud, cry aloud to God in your struggles because you believe he hears you and he loves you. Asaph goes on to say, in the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. Mm. Don't just cry to him. Seek him. What does that verse say? You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And what else do we know? We must believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Seek him. Seek him, Christian. Seek him, those of you who don't believe yet. Seek him while he may be found. Asaph says, I mean, he's seeking God, which isn't easy. It's not easy for us to seek God, is it? It's easier to go to the things that we're comfortable with or familiar with or to self-medicate, to do what makes us feel good. But seeking God is what we must do. And what does Asaph say? Here's his process. He says, in the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. This is not the, the cushy life that, that it might look like on the outside, right? This is, this is tough. Being a believer is hard because it goes against everything in our nature and everything in this corrupt world to walk with God, to seek after God. And so he's like in the night, he's got his arms stretched out in prayer, and he's tirelessly coming before God, seeking God's face, and his soul refuses to be comforted. That's an interesting way to basically say his soul was distressed. But folks, I want to—I I honestly think that that's actually part of the key to the freedom of lament. It's okay to be uncomfortable. 
And it's okay to bring that before God and say, God, I'm uncomfortable with this situation. I'm uncomfortable. And I'm seeking you because this, this is hard. But don't forget to seek him. Matthew Henry, the great commentator of old, says, Days of trouble must be days of prayer. Days of inward trouble, especially when God seems to have withdrawn from us, we must seek him and seek till we find him. Those under trouble of mind must not think to drink it away, laugh it away, but must pray it away. Asaph says in verse 4 that God holds his eyelids open. It's interesting, isn't it? You kind of get this picture of him so weary that God's got his eyes pried open. But that's not what it means. What he's saying is he's so overwhelmed in his lament and his trouble that God's, he, he, he's being robbed of sleep. And he's basically saying, God, you're holding my eyelids open. You're keeping me awake. You're keeping me awake. You ever felt that? Sometimes I have that at 4 a.m. I'm like, I want to go back to sleep, Lord. And the Lord's like, nah. Nope. Time to talk to me and seek me. Sometimes uh, he's also given us here a sense of great weariness in his seeking God in the day of trouble and his soul is struggling to find comfort. Sometimes all we can do is moan and feel faint when it comes to thinking of God and his ways. Isn't that interesting? I remember God and I moan. That's not a moan of, oh, brother, you know you know, in, in contemplating of who God is. I think sometimes when we think of God in our in our struggle, <clears throat> we don't know what to say. We don't know what to say. And I do think of that verse that talks about the Holy Spirit. When we don't have words to say, what does he do? He groans and he moans with utterings that we can't understand. And he intercedes for us. So we can we 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 feel speechless, we're we're sleepless, and find comfort even in trying to think about the good old days, right? That's what he says here in Psalm seventy-seven. Uh, I think it's verse five. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I mean, trying to find comfort in something. Yeah, I'm trying to look back, God. I'm trying to remember something that's going to give me some comfort here. Well, but Asaph's psalm doesn't end here. Charles Spurgeon said, words fail the man whose heart fails him. Sleepless and speechless, Asaph was reduced to great extremities, and yet he rallied, and even so shall we. Even so shall we. What a great word. What helps us rally? Never stop seeking the Lord. Never stop seeking the Lord. My friend Chris, who's working in our church building on different projects, was overwhelmed when I met him even looked overwhelmed. His countenance was, was heavy. And he was carrying so many troubles. He told me he'd been saved three times and backslid three times. And I'm thinking, wow, okay, we're, we're at ground zero. So, God, God, you can build this up now. You know, you can build this man up. And I shared with him the gospel and about the grace of God. And he kept trying to think, well, I got to do, I got to get myself right before God before I can be right with God. And I was like, uh-uh. No. He's like, God's over there somewhere, and i got to get to him. I'm like, uh-uh, no. That's not right, brother, because I see him working right now in your soul. He's not out there. He's right here. And as I speak, begin speaking about that kind of talk, 
tears streaming from his face, big smile on his face. Well, Chris has come to know the Lord Jesus. He was into Wicca, witchcraft. I believe God is delivering him from that, and he is now in Jesus, and Jesus is in him. But he's still got to fight for his joy. He's still got to seek God and cry out to him. His wife sent me a video of him crying out to the Lord in worship. And it moved my heart. It stirred my heart. And now when I see my dear brother, his face is lighter. And a smile comes across it. He's a different person. And I think a big part of it is, is he was carrying all this stuff. And now he knows God is safe where he can lament to God and, and bring his cares before him, cry aloud to him and seek him, and that God loves him. Chris has actually inspired me to lament before God even when it's so hard. May God help us cry aloud to him and seek him even when it's tough and he seems far away. So we also find grace and lament by complaining in a godly manner, and you're going to love this. We see in verses 6 through 9, these words we've been taught that complaining is wrong right and even resulted in god's discipline of his people as we think about the hebrews in the wilderness at meribah who sinned against god and their complaints you know oh we wish could we go back to egypt why have you brought us here to die you know and all those kind of things but is there a a legitimate biblical complaining that we see in the scriptures that isn't at its core anger at god and outright mistrusting of him Well, many of the Psalms of Lament demonstrate complaints brought before God in a manner that is legitimate. A man named Todd Billings in his book, Rejoicing in Lament, Wrestling with Incurable Cancer and Life in Christ, says this, Writers of laments and complaints in the Psalms often seek to make their case case against God, frequently citing God's promises in order to complain that God seems to be forgetting his promises. They throw the promises of God back at him. Well, Mark Brogop in his book says, you see, without a complaint, there would be no lament. It's important to note that we're not justified in raging at God in anger or denying our emotions, where we just basically say, I'm fine, when nothing could be further from the truth. So how are we to find grace and lament? We must turn again to Asaph's words. He tells us how to do it. What he says is, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Now listen to these words. Of what did his spirit make a diligent search of? You see those questions there in your text? Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? These are expressions Questions of complaint. He's asking these questions, and these are instructive for us. Bringing these questions before God. His his feelings and thoughts that he he was dealing with was, and and these are questions he was really wrestling with. He wonders that the Lord will spurn him forever. If, if God is against him, if the Lord will again be gracious toward him, ever, it feels to him that God's love has ceased. 
His promises are no more applicable. It feels to him that God has forgotten to be gracious to him, maybe even overlooking him. It feels like maybe God is angry and no more will have mercy on him. Well, we must remember that these feelings come from certain thoughts, often based in fear. Charles Spurgeon says this about these questions. The questions are suggested by fear, but they are also the cure of fear. It's a blessed thing to have grace enough to look such questions in the face, for their answer is self-evident and eminently fitted to cheer the heart. Such why questions or how long questions show how we are struggling where we are and cannot see how God is meeting us where we are. Often these are expressions to God of our feelings about him said in our agony and bewilderment. And they're not judgments of him said in anger or unbelief. So godly complaints is kind of our going, God, this is what I'm feeling. But I know that's not really true. Our godly complaints aren't an end in and of themselves, though. Rogop says, through godly complaint, we're able to express our disappointment and move toward a resolution. See, complaint is never where we should end our conversation with God. It's, it's a part of the process. And this is what we watch Asaph do. It's through his questioning, his questions that he's challenging his spirit to hold fast in faith and to fight against unbelief. Spurgeon actually says it's a wise thing to, to put unbelief through the catechism. Isn't that interesting? Taking our doctrine, our beliefs, and saying, here, unbelief, take that. This is what we believe. Each one of the questions, Spurgeon says, is a dart aimed at the very heart of despair. Thus we have also in our days of darkness done battle for life itself as we put unbelief through the catechism, right? As we bring these points up so so unbelief is addressed. So does this coming to God with our godly complaint in the form of questions, even frustrations, really work? Well, Mark Rogop tells a story of a man at his church who heard him preach on a psalm of lament. The man told him of his lifelong struggle with same-sex attraction. Counseling had been discouraging as it really was all about his behavior. He resonated with the words from the lament psalms, even as they echoed his own journal writings. He felt like God had forgotten him, struggled with why God allowed very painful circumstances in his childhood to happen. He battled anger with his parents. He felt like God was distant. He was struggling with God. And so Mark Vergrop encouraged him over the next few months to tell tell God exactly how he was feeling. He challenged him to complain through his questions and frustrations and bring these before the Lord. Slowly the darkness began to lift in this brother's life. The struggle with same-sex attraction didn't vanish, but his sense of God abandoning him did. As he poured out his soul in lament, it opened his heart for God to apply healing grace to his life. The painful questions that once created a barrier between him and God now became the vehicle to draw him closer to the one who would change his heart. I could say amen and leave today. That's so good. Questions and lament became the means by which God began a work of renewal in this man's life. He started to change. I dare you to do the same. I dare you to do the same. Take it all, every hurt that you're carrying, every struggle that you're dealing with, every bit of trouble that you're wrestling with, take it to the Lord. Bring your complaint and frustration to him. 
He's big enough to handle. He is a God who is big enough to handle. We, how do we complain in a way that's godly? I've mentioned how anger toward God or judging him or his character is rooted in unbelief. We must not do that. We must follow the pattern of the psalmist as they model the way for us to do it. And Mark Rogrop sums it up by saying that we come humble. We pray the Bible. We pray the laments. We pray the lament prayers. We be honest with God. And don't just complain. Don't just complain. I think praying a lament psalm that you identify with is extremely helpful. God knows our hearts, our struggles, but this process is where we find his grace works to help us move forward past our stuck place. As I counsel many Christians, I'm finding we're often so stuck. And it's because we think we we have to praise God and thank him, but we can't bring frustrations and questions. And lament is something that I believe he wants us to have to access his power and to receive healing and find strength to keep moving onward. So where are you stuck right now? I would suggest a humble and honest approach to God and questions, frustrations being voiced in prayer and journaling. Journaling has been wonderful for me. I know it sounds awful to sit and write and then to read it, but do it do it anyways. You're not having to videotape yourself. That's even worse. But journaling is a blessing. Remember, God wants you to move forward and to grow in grace. Move toward him with your godly complaints. And Brogrop tells us a simple formula for how to word our complaints before God. He says, say this or write this. God, I know you are not blank, but it feels like you are. I think that's pretty safe. But we must remember Asaph doesn't end in complaint, and neither should we. Thirdly, we find grace and lament by trusting in God and his character. We see in verses 10 through 20, Asaph shifting from a diligent search, right, with his complaints and his complaint questions, to now verse 10 where he resolves to appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Now some translations here speak about a grief. This is my grief or this is my infirmity. I remember hearing Richard say that that was his translation there. This is interesting because a lot of scholars say that that's actually a better translation. This is my infirmity. It seems like that, that God himself has changed or something to that effect. Is that, does that sound right from what you see in your text, that God has changed? Okay. Well, this is my infirmity. He's saying, this is my, this is my infirmity or this is my, my problem. It seems like God's changed, that he's kind of pulled away and he's distant and all these kind of things. Um, the English standard says he resolves to appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. What is it about the right hand that's, that we know? The right hand is, a bless, is it's about blessing, right? It's about honor. It's a, it's a gracious thing. The left hand was about cursing and, and, and uh, wrath. Um, so Asaph's appealing to the years of the right hand of the Most High is considering the blessings and grace shown to us in history. Sometimes we've got to go outside of our own experience, right? In our troubles. And that's what I think Asaph is saying. I, I can't believe that God has changed. My infirmity is I'm, I'm weak. I'm, I'm, I'm not able to think about all these things in the right way. So I've got to go back to the, the testimony 
of who God is and what he's done. And so that's exactly what he does here. Asaph's attention now is, is no longer on his troubles, but on the object of his faith, God and his actions. The commentator Derek Kidner says, This right hand of God, so far from failing, links the past to the present, full of promise. It's good stuff. So Asaph is choosing a 30,000-foot view, a big-picture view, rather than looking down, you know, navel-gazing, or looking at his own struggle of heart and mind, knowing that his sovereign God, who's been faithful in history, is the God who's at work in his life. So he tells us how he does this. In verses 11 to 12, he chooses to remember the deeds of Yahweh. That's the first time Asaph is using that name of God here. And why is that name significant? That's the personal and relational name of God that God gave to Moses to pass along to the Hebrew people. This is who I am. I am your God. I am that I am. And I am with you and I'm for you. And I am your God and I will deliver you. And so Asaph, like the believers in the Old Covenant, looked back to this most wondrous and vivid event in their history where Yahweh intervened and revealed himself on their behalf. Asaph is remembering the deeds of Yahweh in Israel's great trouble of slavery to rest and trust in him and his character in the midst of his own trivial troubles. Matthew Henry says the due remembrance of the works of God will be a powerful antidote against distrust of his promise and goodness, for he is God and changes not. And Spurgeon says, memory is a fit handmaid for faith. And I love this. He says, when faith has its seven years of famine, memory like Joseph in Egypt opens her granaries. Isn't that cool? Memory serves us. Remember who God is. Remember, read the testimony of who God is. Is God faithful? Does he change? He does not change. And he is a good God. And he's a sovereign God, and he's mighty to save. So looking back helps us to keep looking up and to keep leaning on the Lord. We need to, keep rem- we need to be remembering and reminding ourselves of God's interventions as this bolsters our faith and keeps us from unbelief. So what Asaph does next is instructive for us in our process of trusting in him in our time of lament. In verses 13 to 15, he specifically recounts what God revealed about himself in the Exodus. He talks to God about who he is now and what he did. It's interesting. In this prayer, he goes from I and me to now focuses on God. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You've made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Now, God knows all those things. So why does Asaph do this? He does it for his own soul, and he does it also to lift up the soul of his brothers and sisters who would be reading these psalms and singing them in the congregation. He knows we need to be reminded, and we need to remember. If our focus is on God and his character, these things anchor us in the storms of life. Our trust of him grows as we focus on his accomplishments and his character. As he becomes bigger in our eyes, our troubles and our struggles fade. The hugeness and pervasiveness of our troubles are swallowed up in the glory and majesty and provision of Yahweh, our God. Asaph also recounts the obedience of creation to the power of God that was displayed in the Exodus. In verses 16 to 18, he speaks of the waters seeing God and being afraid 
and pulling back and the deep trembling, the clouds pouring forth water, the skies giving forth thunder and his arrows of lightning flashing on every side. His thunder was heard in the whirlwind, his lightnings lighting up the world and the earth trembling and shaking. What a picture. What a picture. Was this the, the, the image of what was seen right there at the Red Sea as, as the Pharaoh's army is coming up upon the people of Israel and they're trapped right there at the sea and there's nowhere for them to go and they're thinking, surely this is a dead end and we're going to die. Well, to remember, God is the one who we trust in is the God over all nature. He's created all of nature. He's sovereign over all things. He reigns and rules over it all. Scholars show us that God so cares for us that he has even creation obey his will to protect his people there at the Exodus and to help save them, as well as to be instruments of confusion and wrath to destroy those who oppose God's people. Do you see that? Our sovereign God is using creation for his people, for judgment and salvation, right? This is our God. There's something else powerful that I almost missed in this passage in verse 19. Asaph mentions God's way was through the sea, his path, his path through the great waters, yet his footprints were unseen. This, hang with me here. This is fascinating. Asaph saying his way was through the sea. Can you imagine what the Hebrews thought? There is no way. We're going to die, right? As I said. And God, God had a different plan. God decided to wall up the water and dry the seabed with a wind for them to walk through on dry ground. You see, this doesn't make any sense. Sometimes the ways of God don't make sense. And we, seem, we feel like we're at a dead end or we're in a stuck place. I'm never going to get out of this, God. Our God knows the way. And thankfully, when our Savior came, he said, I am the way. The way is not geographical or spatial. It's not something out there. The way is a person. And it's always been a person. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So isn't it true just as God's foot, footprints could not be seen on the seafloor that we cannot see as leading through the troubles and struggles of our lives? Asaph is reminding himself and us that Yahweh leads us as our great shepherd through the ways he makes for us. Asaph ends the psalm of lament with him focusing on God's leading his people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Don't, don't, don't read past that too quickly. God is so good to command creation itself to do his bidding on behalf of his people. He's so good that he makes a way when there doesn't seem to be any way. But he also loves and cares for his people like a flock, right? And he provides shepherds like Moses and Aaron for his people. Think about that for a minute. What is one of the most amazing provisions for us as God's people that he's, he's given to us in history? The great shepherd of our sheep, the Lord Jesus, coming in the flesh to be our great redeemer. So when we focus on God's deeds of old, we often don't think of the Exodus. We think of Christ and his coming. Our focus has to go there. 
because that's even the greatest. That's the greatest deliverance. He's the greater Moses. And this is the greatest exodus where God delivers us, his people, from slavery to sin and death. And so we look to Jesus who lived a perfect life as our high priest and died a criminal's death on his people's behalf as the Lamb of God once for all to take away the sin of his people. He came to make us righteous before the Father. He came in the flesh to be our great shepherd of the sheep. He came that we may trust in him to heal the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives. He came to accomplish our redemption and restore us to glory where we have abundant life, meaning we have a rich spiritual life when we've come to know him in this life. And then we have assurance of when we go be with him, that we will be with him forever. And he'll change us, that we'll be like him. All these things were not the way in which people expected the Messiah would come, or even Jesus' actions were not the actions that they expected from a Messiah. But oh, the ways of Yahweh that he's chosen to reveal himself and to work. Praise God. Can we trust in the one who's done all these things and shown his character to us over and over? Can we in our day of trouble trust in his way being right, even if we don't see it, if we don't like it or enjoy it, or even are unsure why and how long we will be there? By the grace of God, we can and we must trust in him in our day of trouble. In my own recent spiritual depression that I went through recently, these aspects of lament that I share with you this morning that I had to live out in process and in difficulty, God used these by his grace to lift my heart out of the miry clay and to set my feet on solid ground. His grace was at work in new ways and enabled me to find healing grace for my struggles and my pain. Don't get me wrong, there's things that I'm still lamenting over. There's things I'm still crying aloud to God about and, and, and complaining about to him in a godly way and still trusting him. These actions of lament anchor me to the Lord in the storm of this post-COVID world where it seems like so much is out of my control. My lament has provided me a way to cope with the state of the world in a productive manner that keeps me fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. May the Lord Jesus enable you to navigate through your struggle with these tools to lament so you may find grace and lament and continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. May the Lord be glorified in all of our lament and show us his powerful grace in it. Let's pray. Lord, Father of mercies, your mercies are new every morning, Lord, and your mercies are things that we don't deserve. And, Lord, it is amazing that you don't just send us all to hell as we're all worthy of that and deserving of it. We thank you that you rejoice to save sinners like us. You rejoice to deliver us even from our troubles and to be our joy in the midst of living in a corrupt and fallen world and even having the corruption of our flesh still present with us. We thank you that we're not under the dominion anymore of sin and, and of the enemy. We thank you that we are under your dominion. We are citizens of heaven. We are your people. We ask in Jesus' name, Lord, you would truly help your saints today to find grace and lament. 
We ask in Jesus' name that, Lord, you would draw hearts to you that aren't that aren't yours yet. We pray that you would, your spirit would work powerfully in this place and build this church, grow this church, grow your kingdom, Father, here and abroad. In Jesus' name, we ask it. And God's people said, Amen. Okay. All right. Please stand for the benediction. I'm used to, accustomed to this, but hold out your hands. May the Lord, who knows your hearts, may he lift up his countenance upon you, give you his peace. May he cause his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he lead you in the paths that he has paved before you, and he has made a way for you. May God strengthen you and keep you in him and by his spirit. Amen.